This episode of Talking Smith About Film is brought to you by Earl Grey Tea. Yes, it might be the greatest tea in the world, and sure, this is a placeholder for a sponsor I didn't, but I had to mention it anyway. Just play the opening jingle. This is probably going to be my last link for the academic year. Maybe my last link on Pulse as well, but I doubt it's going to be the last time I do an audio-based film thing somewhere on the internet, let's be real. didn't say it'd take that long for me to set up shop with a new audio-based film thing. You're obviously listening to this either on the Mixcloud or on the blog. But now we welcome our podcast listeners on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. As I get to say the following words, welcome to Talking Smith About Film. It's been nearly six months in the works and... Let's be honest, I could only start this thing after I finished up on the radio show because we don't want a conflict of interest. Talking Smith about film is go, and for another hour, well, 40 minutes if you're listening to the podcast version of this, you lucky mixed cloud listeners who are in, we're, her- we're inheriting from Rip Ticket are going to get some extra music because it is a radio show after all. We're going to introduce you all to the new way to hear me do film-related stuff over the summer. If you don't watch the journal... Uh, but if you have been listening to Rip Tickets since October and you want to hear me continue doing film news rundowns, box office related matters, how we might get Liam on as a guest, I don't know, we've got all sorts of plans ahead. But this is going to be a regular-ish podcast, because I've got a long summer to play with, so yeah, and as this is a LeeJackSmith.com property, we can do whatever the hell we want. We can name brand names. We can we can swear if we want to, which, let's be honest, knowing some of the people have got lined up to come on this thing, that restriction is a very neat thing. Especially knowing as we've been going out on the air at one o'clock on a Friday and I've not really been able to say what I've wanted to say about some films. <coughs> Robin Hood. <coughs> whole journal on that coming soon uh, but this podcast is basically going to be rip ticket 2.0 as we've called it behind the scenes so get a nice cup of earl grey sit back relax and enjoy Obviously, the bread and butter of the podcast, surprise, surprise, will be a couple of film reviews. Now, I've only got one to sort of go into this week, and it's a humdinger of a film. It's the final Fox X-Men release, and, well, before I launch in to this filming, why only know, I know how. Here's the trailer for X-Men Dark Phoenix. Ladies and gentlemen of NASA, this is Charles Xavier. Help is on the way. We're doing space missions now. Cool. We 
get the astronauts, we bring them home. Go. The heat signature's rising fast. We gotta get out of here. Where's Jean? Where is she? Be dead. Did you hear what the kids are calling you? Phoenix. Hello, Jean. Who are you? The better question is, who are you? Something's happening to me. When I lose control, bad things happen. But it feels good. That power destroyed everything it ever came into contact with. Until you, the X-Men, fear you. And what they fear, we seek to destroy. She'll kill us all. A girl dies. She's still our friend. She's not Jean anymore. threatening me. That's right. That would be a bad idea. So to give you a basic flavour of what this film is like, it is another version of the Dark Phoenix saga that we originally seen in X-Men 3, The Last Stand. You know, the one that Brett Ratner directed. The less said about that film, the better. But to quote the IMDb synopsis, uh, Jean Grey begins to develop incredible powers that corrupt and turn her into a Dark Phoenix. And as a result of that, the X-Men now have to decide whether the life of one of their own is worth more than all of the people living in the world. It is paint-by-numbers superhero film. And there aren't really that many good clips for it. We do have a clip. It's from quite late on in the film. Uh, Magneto, Xavier and the remaining X-Men who are uh, doing a thing at that point in the film, uh, gathering together just before the final fight. Here's a clip. Hello, old friend. out of my way. I'm sorry for what she did, but I can't let you go in there. You're always sorry, Charles, and there's always a speech. But nobody cares anymore. We do this here, now, they'll see us as monsters. Violent freaks fighting on the streets of New York. What did I tell you? Damn it, man, your homeland will be gone. Everything you care about. Save it. Don't do this, Eric. The girl dies. So this is quite a important moment for the superhero genre. This is the last time Fox are going to be able to make a film using these characters. And sure, they've got New Mutants coming out later on in 2020. But they had a lot riding on this film to give these characters the send-off that they truly deserved. And mercifully, how the hell did they get this film so wrong? How the hell did I get this film so, 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 so wrong? 
Uh, it's Simon Kinberg who's making his directorial debut on this film. Now, he's produced all of the X-Men films over the last 20 years. Uh, so it's, you could argue that getting a producer to write and direct the film on his first time of asking him, giving him a $200 million budget, to make a film that he thinks will give a good send-off. And I, I'm aware that Kevin Feige reviewed the script and sort of said, through Marvel Studios, like, look, this, we're going to let you do this, do the film this way before we integrate your characters in. This film is absolute pants. This film is absolute pants. And there's only one way I can review this properly. Cue Sarabande, let's do this. So, Kinberg does his best. He's written an okay-ish plot, but my issue with the film lies with the pacing. He's a first-time director, making a one-hour, 53-minute film that is all over the shop, that is predictable, cliched. You know how the film is going to end about an hour in. It is an absolutely messy film. And some of the characters just aren't treated right either. Without spoiling too much, some characters are criminally underutilised. Which is a damn shame considering we've spent the last couple of years getting to know this version of the characters, getting to know this younger version of the characters. I I left Odeon on Wednesday having seen the film thinking, really? Just really? And this bit gets me angry. Hans Zimmer did the music for the film making his return to the superhero genre after the whole Batman v Superman saga. He couldn't save this film in a month for Sundays, believe me. Uh, however, I will say it is shot pretty decently. Barrow Fury is pretty good behind the camera. It, you can tell it's been shot for IMAX. You can tell it's been shot for the premium large formats, just so Fox can actually stand a chance of getting your, the money back. Because I don't think this film's going to have much of a place. Knowing that Avengers is still doing rounds. That brings me in to the cast. They do the best with what they've been given. You've got James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, Nicholas, Fass uh, Nicholas Holt, Ty Sheridan, Evan Peters, Alexandra Ship, and Cody Smith McPhee, and of course Sophie Turner, who's the titular Dark Phoenix. These, these guys are okay. Sophie Turner can barely hold the film together. She's improved a lot as as Jean Grey over the last couple of films. Obviously, Apocalypse was okay. Days of Future Past was was good. But this cast, you know, the main characters are good, but the new characters I couldn't really engage with. I just simply couldn't engage with them in any way, shape or form. But that's a shame because Jessica Chastain plays the villain in this film. Usually, she's really good. Not in this film. Not in this film at all. She doesn't feel fleshed out. She doesn't feel true. And sure, while she originally denied that she was playing a certain character on, on social media, the fact that they had the nerve to make her the film's villain, the fact that they had the nerve to sort of test audience patience a little bit, because it, it's a proper bait and switch. I've seen filmmaking by students that is much better than this film, and that is quite damning. I I did not enjoy this film one bit. I, I was sat there watching it thinking, oh god, why? Why do they have to make such a bad superhero film? 
it, this feels like it belongs in the mid-1990s, before the genre was good. Considering the standards of other films that we've had released this year, I c I'm dumbfounded. And it also puts into the spotlight, if Hugh Jackman could get a good send-off as Wolverine, why couldn't the other characters? This film is truly awful, bringing the curtain down on 20 years of stories like this. I can honestly say that this film should just wait for the DVD. And oh yes, 21% on Rotten Tomatoes, that tells you everything. Long story short, Marvel needs to get these characters integrated sooner rather than later because I do not see much of a future with the main X-Men people uh, going forward. I mean, if New Mutants can salvage something, that'd be brilliant. But you should just wait for the DVD on this one because I did not enjoy this film one bit. So, of course, one of the staples that we are bringing over from Rip Ticket is something that I was quite proud of, a feature that I came up with uh, specifically for the show, and I figured if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yes, the film news rundown is back. We have the music. We have everything in place. Like I've, uh, like I've mentioned many times before, I'm doing all of this without a radio mixing desk, a USB mixer. We are calling this on the fly because... We weren't meant to be launching this podcast this early, but now that you've heard the Dark Phoenix review, uh, you can understand why we are launching this very early on. So, without any further ado, let's take a look at the big news from this week. So, the important news coming out from Warner Brothers is that they won't be going to Comic-Con. They aren't going to be doing a Hall H panel. Uh, but we do have a first little teaser for Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot dropped the first poster on Monday. I'm liking the look of it. It's a more Ragnarok-inspired thing, very 80s aesthetic. We will have more information in December when the main marketing campaign kicks off. I am very curious as to how that film is going to turn out. We also have the first trailer for Ad Astra from... Uh, from Paramount, it's Brad Pitt's brand new film. I've not not had a chance to watch it yet, it's been that busy this week, but that trailer's been delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. Usually that's a recipe for disaster. So it's going to be interesting to see if it actually ends up being the awards contender that it's meant to be. I've been following that saga on trailer track for the, uh, for the last couple of months. Even the guys who run that site are like, what, the trailer's out already? Uh, there's also been news coming out from the Bond set. Another injury. Wouldn't be surprised if the film gets delayed again. Bond 25 seems to be cursed right now. And I just want that film to be good so they can give Daniel Craig the send-off that he deserves. Uh, in Netflix news, Stranger Things 3. More teasers for that. Uh, yeah, if, if it's better than season 2, we'll be happy. I was talking about it with Ed Greenberg and a few friends of mine yesterday. And, yeah, not much to be said there. 
Also, Apple have doubled down on their investment in original films and programming. They are going all in with their Apple TV streaming service now. Obviously, they announced it at WWDC on Monday during the keynote. I am not rigging that first. Apple needs to make big moves in order to win me over from Netflix and Amazon Prime. And just having heavyweight stars just doesn't appeal to me anymore. I want to see good quality quality product across the board. That includes Disney Plus when it launches. And sure, it's going to be launching in the UK in November. I just want to see all the streaming services get along at a good price. Because what about the student audience? What about low-income audiences? You need to be inclusive. And also, you need to make sure cinemas survive. I mean, I went to a place the other week because of streaming services, they are only averaging around 20 admissions a day. And for an independent cinema, that ain't good. Oh, I have missed doing that. Uh, so that's the news that I think is important over the next couple of weeks. As you can tell, I'm a little bit rusty at this. I've not done a film news rundown or box office uh, report in audio form for about three weeks now. Um, so I'm a little bit out of practice. Hopefully this podcast gets me back in the swing of things a little bit quicker. So uh, what else can I sort of mention before we uh, launch into the next segment on on, on this week's podcast? Uh one thing I do have to mention, uh, journal. Uh, if you've seen the May episode, uh, thanks so much, it's on track to be the highest rated journal that we've put out since the launch episode last year, which is incredible. Um, but one thing I'm, I do have to mention, the cinema that I talk about uh, in that episode, the Palace in Longridge, very, very nice venue. What we're going to be doing later on in the year on the journal is I've got four other cinemas heavily researched because uh, I did a whole dissertation on it we've got four other episode, four other cinemas researched thoroughly in depth what we're going to do is we're going to try and visit these cinemas and do a similar piece on all of them uh, in the style of what we did for episode 11 so if you guys want to see that let us know because uh, I really want to make it happen Hell, if, if it ends up being the June episode I won't be surprised because we've got We've got two ideas in mind for, for the journal. One of them depends on content ID. The other is this cinema thing I keep mentioning. But it, I, I enjoyed making that episode. The response has been fantastic. Uh, not just from the film production guys, not just from the university, not just from the panelists themselves, but from you viewers as well. The response has been genuinely awesome on that. So if you want more, let us know. Now, one of the main features that we're going to be bringing over from the RIP Ticket Show is our in-depth UK and Ireland box office coverage. Now, this is something that I'm very passionate about. If you've read my Twitter feed every Monday or Tuesday, you'll understand that every week I tweet those box office figures and sort of gain a general understanding of what's hot and what's not. Now, we're going to be doing this roughly the same way we did on the radio show, but as I don't have a co-host for the time being, it's going to be interesting to see how I do it on my own without the aid of a proper mixing desk, without the aid of a cart walk for the time being, without all the stuff that made the Rip Ticket show sound so good. So let's, let's see how this 
works out. As we talk, the UK box office for the weekend of May 31st to June 3rd. So without any further ado, hit the music. At 10 this week is The Hustle in its fourth week now in the top 10. It's done okay business considering it's a remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Did 80 grand, so that Universal happy. At nine is Paw Patrol Mighty Pups. Third week in the charts now. It's been released by Paramount. It's played well at a lot of sites considering it's been school holiday season. It's done 1.14, well, 1.1 million over its lifetime, 130 grand this week. But it's not done as well as Avengers. Avengers is hanging around at eighth place, six weeks in now, 86.9 million banked, 480,000 this session. It's had a good run. At seven is a brand new entry in the form of Ma. It's a new psychological horror film, not seen too much about it. Did just over £500,000 in cinemas this weekend. So I can guess, I can understand why. At six is John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. Did another 600 grand this week. It's on 8 million lifetime now. I know my rip ticket co host Liam Murphy was quite, quite engrossed by that film. I'm glad to see it doing well. At five is Pokemon Detective Pikachu. It did 664 grand this week, up to 12.5 million over its four week run now. Again, doing well with the kids. At four, is Rocketman. Second week in, it's done 11.9 million over its uh, two week run, two and a half million this week. Glad it's doing well, because I enjoyed that film. At three is The Secret Life of Pets 2. In its second week, did another 2.9 million. Although, Godzilla opened to three and a half million at second, which means, mercifully, there is no change at the top of the throne. Aladdin is still your UK box office number one. £4.8 million this weekend. When will they learn that reboots just aren't a good idea? Now, as a lot of you will be aware, I did grip ticket chart on Pulse Radio for quite a few months. I loved every minute of it. But I'm aware that not every, every single one of you has been able to listen to the programme. And sure, there are highlights from... Uh, October to January as our little pilot episode uh, here on the podcast feed. But what we're going to do every now and then is we're going to play you some highlights from from Rip Ticket uh, from the later months. So from the last sort of six months uh, up to now, we're sometimes going to give you some reviews from films that have just come out on home video, films that have, uh, are on TV. Oh, actually, that does remind me. TV movie of the week. We'll give you one of those later on, don't worry. But what we're going to do is we're going to play you highlights from some of the reviews. And I figured the best place to start is from our last programme on May 24th. If you listen live to that one, thank you so much for giving the show the send-off that it deserves. If it's, if the show comes back with me, if the show comes back with Liam, we don't know at this stage. But Rip Ticket is going to be coming back in some capacity come September, but... Because I miss audio so much, that's why the podcast is a thing. So for our first delve into the archives, we're going to have a look back at the work of the UCLan film production students, which I got to sort of shadow for the last eight months as they made the film possible. We do actually have a trailer now. 
which is brilliant. The film's editors cut something together. So if, you, if the levels are, are, are all over the shop for this bit, um, that's because they cut together cut this together in a rush. So, for the last eight months, UConn's film production students have made their own version of The Haunting of Hill House. And they made it for £5,000. Was it any good? Well, here's the trailer for The Haunting. We all appreciate what you did for Mother. 11 years, that's a long time. You seem to know your history, Mr. Sanderson. Welcome to Hill House. The ad explained the need for bad sleepers. I trust this whole experiment goes beyond curing the problem. You wrote saying you had trouble sleeping. That's just a habit. It... idea of the sort of thing that they created it's inspired by the novel so it's uh, the central premise uh, a character called Nell uh, she gets invited on this sleep study at a, a, a place called Hill House she meets a group of characters including a, so headed up by a guy called uh, Dr Marrow so it's a sleep deprivation study and when they get further into it they realise not always as it seems there's a lot of supernatural things going on and it all seems to stem back down to Nell. It's so it's a classic horror it's novel, and it's been adapted several times in the late sixties and then infamously in nineteen ninety nine when the director of Speed decided to give it a go to very 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 mixed results. Not even Liam Neeson could save that film. <laughs> so they were given this as inspiration, and just they began working on this film. Netflix came out of their series, so they had to make it different to what yeah. Netflix had done. So, for the guys who made this film, it's been a long journey. They had eight months to make a film that traditionally would have taken a year, two years to make. So they had four months of pre-production, a week of shooting. Yes, you heard me right, a week of shooting, and two months of editing. Last night they premiered, and I was there at the premiere, sort of watching it all for the first time. So, directors, this is it. Did The Haunting deliver the goods? Well, I'm very glad to report yes it did uh, it's co-directed by Jack O'Connell Caitlin Rigney and Shayla Kirk and three of the students here on the course uh, there are a trio of directors who sort of spread the duties out between them uh, it was a, f- a very collaborative effort they managed to pace this film incredibly well it's a nice and tight one hour 25 minutes by my watch and what they were able to do because they wrote the script as well they took the script adapted it put their own characters and took elements from the book elements from the adaptations and created it into their own unique way of telling the story Story. Obviously, budgetary constraints kind of dictated what they could and couldn't do with, with this film. But when I watched it last night, because I judged the film based on the finished product, yes, it's rough around the edges. Yes, it's a student film at the end of the day. But what they were trying to do with this film is tell the story their way. And they did it. That's the important thing. 
but they wrote a script that had very impressive characters it got a lot of character morals motivations you could feel for these characters throughout the, the, the main narrative and having only four main characters sort of in this combined space knowing that they've got to put up with each other for the, for the duration of their stay at, at, at the Hill House they, have, they also they avoid the use of jump scares which for a psychological horror film that's a very impressive thing I believe yeah. it was an edict in the production office that they weren't going to use jump scare which jump scare is just too cliched the fact that they didn't use it kind of tells you this, yeah quite this, a bold step quite yeah. a bold step knowing that these guys this is their first feature film at yeah. that to, sort of to, to, to 21 to make a feature film on this budget it's unheard of I mean it's the yeah. only it's the, it's the first time I've ever seen a project like this happen I mean undertaking a horror itself in this like climate yeah. with the type of horror films I mean, and how they're received we, now we, we, I mean just look at how Curse of Your Own has sort of dipped down the yeah, box office yeah. opened high and it dropped uh, but what, what where this film does come alive even though this is a student film because cinematography uh, Siobhan Sofield and Amos Ilyashevich uh, they do a brilliant job behind the camera yeah. they are very bold with the camera work they're, they're, they're inventive they, they know how to shoot for a big screen it feels like it was shot for cinema which is the best the best compliment you can give for a student film I mean sure these guys are still learning the ropes as their lecturer said last night they are still green in this industry but they are able to create this film that feels born for the big screen and sure we had a few technical issues last night <coughs> Wi-Fi <coughs> you know what I mean uh, but it just felt right on the big screen and having the music as well because I had uh, two of the music production students do the score Carlos Ravi and uh, uh, David Kalesa they did the music for it it's, it's a basic score but it fits the film perfectly it comes in at the right time they, they gave every aspect of this film before and I, being watching this film last night with, with a lot of the lecturers a lot of the cast a lot of the crew uh, I felt a good sense of pride last night and that does bring me into the performances uh, this film is based centrally around the four main characters of the piece you've got Nell, Theo, uh, Luke and Dr Marrow and now it's played by someone called Megan Paul and she is she's kind of a glue that holds this film together you you kind of uh, glued with her for the whole film you get to know the character well you get to see her motivation and there's a twist quite late on in the third act the way they execute that twist with the character is very very good they, it's obvious that they knew the sort of route they'd be taking the character sure it does deviate from the source material a little bit but they are able to create an ending that is a, a narrative resolve it, that is very satisfying and caught people off guard they were, everyone was sat there thinking wow they, they, they had the balls to go for that ending you also have Lucy Marshall as Theo, and, and Marshall's Marshall and Paul's performance are, for me, the two standouts of the piece. Because those two, it's obvious that the cast and crew got on well on set. Obviously, I can say that, I've been on set. Yeah. It was a very collaborative atmosphere. And obviously, you've got Lex Simkin as Luke, Martin Neary as Dr. Marrow. These, these core four cast members are able to create characters that feel believable. And that is something you don't get often for a first yeah, time film. I was. So again, like I was partial to the production process. So I knew how the film would end, but even I was generally shocked at the ending. And even with the knowledge, that is the mark of a good film in my eyes. If even if you know what's coming, being able to sort of have an idea as to where the film's going to go down and seeing it executed, bringing it on the big screen as well, and it, it still leave you dumbfounded. And it still leaves yeah. you dumbfounded. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
well, some of these characters are sort of sharing the sort of same stories with their printing counterparts. Other, uh, others are composite characters because they do drop some elements of the book in order to bring the running time down to a nice time on hour twenty-five. But you got you got uh, a supporting cast. I've got to mention Frank Ryan, Gillian Powell, Julie uh, Root, Kieran Samuels, Tara McKeown. Thomas Gledsham and Carly Smith, who I was sat next to just down the road uh, from me at the premiere. Um, but this this cast, uh, the, the directors, the crew, uh, they're able to get some very good performances out of this cast. I see big things for them in the future. And considering the venue we were in, we were in a cinema in Longridge, which barely gets any admissions at the minute. We had 150 in last night, which tells you that there is demand for independent films like these. There is demand for independent stories, independent filmmakers who want to tell their stories in the way that only they know how. And on top of that, audience feedback last night was fantastic. The, the, the general vibe that I overheard from, from the audience coming out of the film, not only did they enjoy it, they were engaged with it. It, it. it did not feel like a student film. Sure, there are moments where you can sort of tell where sound dips out a little bit. There is a bit of camera shake here and there, but yeah. as the, the director admitted in their speech last night, they know the film's flawed. They know it's not perfect. We're just judging it based on big screen merit here on Rip Ticket Show. It's been the case for the last eight months. But this film, considering how many adaptations of the source material have come about over the years, how many other adaptations are going to come, how many other series Netflix will make of the series, we don't know. But none of them have the distinction of being made by students for five grand and actually being semi-decent. This doesn't feel like a student film. Now, having seen this project from start to end, this group of filmmakers not only prove that they're employable, not only prove that they are knowledgeable behind the camera, but they prove they can make a damn good film. And as for the review, yeah, it's, as we mentioned, it's rough around the edges. But it does the job. It really does do the job. And having talked about it with the lecturers, with, with Ed Greenberg, with Ian Crook last night, the fact that even they are impressed with the film and how it turned out, that is a very encouraging thing indeed. So, even though this is technically a pre-release review, and even though this film's never going to get a cinema release, but I am led to believe that there will be some showings on the Yukon campus at some point, so keep your eyes peeled on the university social media, because this film deserves to be seen on a big screen. I can honestly say from the top of my heart that this film, and this is going to make them so happy. <laughs> this film is a should-be-watched. This film is a should-be-watched film, considering the production background of the film and how little time they had to make this thing happen. I was surprised at how good it turned out and how good it looked on a big screen. And as you've heard me mention before that review, we do have the small matter of TV movie of the week to pick. Now, again, this is a feature that we are carrying over from the Rip Ticket show. It'll be going out on the Rip Ticket Facebook page because I want to keep that active over the summer. And again, for a lot of you guys coming in uh, who are new listeners, TV movie of the week is a film that is on terrestrial free-to-air television here in the UK. So it's not on your digital channels. If it's on Sky, if it's on Virgin Media... If it's on a paid TV channel, we do not care about it. What my belief is, the more films you can see, the better. And if it's accessible on a free-to-air channel, whether it's on the BBC, whether it's on ITV, whether it's on Channel 4, Channel 5, something like ITV2, for example, if a film is on and it's good, go ahead and watch it. And sure, there's a lot of sport going on across the next couple of weeks because it is coming up for the summer. But 
I am going to be pretty bold and say that my TV movie of the week uh, for June 7th, June 8th is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It's on film for Saturday 8th of June at 20 to 5. I reviewed that film to close the first year of LeeJacksmith.com back in 2013 and I really, really enjoyed that film. It is a true piece of escapist filmmaking. And I know friends of mine who are probably fanatical about that, watching that film on a regular basis. And the fact that it's on, well, it's on, it's on free to wear telly a lot. Uh, and I know a lot of the big boy critics thought, oh, it was an awful film. And considering it's an adaptation of a 1937 short story, uh, brought up to date with Ben Stiller, who uh, directed it as well. It's uh, uh, well, so quite a different film to the sort of things he's done in the past, like Tropic Thunder, Zoolander. Uh, but this is a film that I think where he really earned his keep as as a director. And it, he's working with Kristen Wiig in it as well, who, who does a rare, serious role, uh, but it's not comic. Uh, it's on Saturday 8th of June, 20 to 5, uh, on Film 4. It's a proper tea time film, and if you're listening to this after June 8th, um, it's probably going to be on demand somewhere. It's probably going to be on a streaming service. I don't know about our American friends yet, uh, but it will be available somewhere. And with that, that is just about it for the Talking Smith About Film podcast. This is not bad for a first episode, if I say so myself. Uh, this is going to be available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, wherever you get your podcasts from, basically. And you guys are going to be a very key part of what we're going to do. We have all sorts of ways for you to get involved. So you can tweet me at Lee Jack Smith using the hashtag Talking Smith About Film. You can email us, podcast at LeeJackSmith.com. Uh, if you're listening on the Anchor podcast platform on iOS, Android and on desktop, you can send voice messages directly to us, which is pretty cool. Uh, for more information on that, head to anchor.fm. Uh, they explain it much better than I can because I'm not too familiar with it just yet. It's a new thing for us. Uh, and also we have, a, we have a Facebook page as well. Um, I, we don't have a username set for it yet. So it's uh, facebook.com forward slash Just... Search for lejacksmith.com on Facebook, you can find us. Um, but that is just about it for the first episode. We've got no idea when episode two is going to drop because these are going to be as and when I have films to review. This is launching today. It was a very last-minute thing because of the X-Men review. I needed to rant about that film sooner rather than later. So that is just about it. My name's been Jack Smith. You've heard me talk Smith about film for too long today. And until the next episode, we'll see you at the movies.